0: and happy new year to everybody here we are 2010 things change don't they things about our life things about our looks things about our work things about our living circumstances for some of us 2010 begins looking a whole lot different than the beginning of 2009 just a year ago some of us have more children right Esther Good to see you guys here this morning, and congratulations. All of us with children have older children whose life circumstances are changing with their ages, which brings more changes to us as parents too. Some of us now have fewer children at home; we're now facing the empty nest. There are several of us in the congregation dealing with that over the last few years—that new reality. For some of us, our family makeup has changed for other reasons: a loved one has died, a child has gotten married. For some of us, our work situation is different now than it was a year ago. And when you think further back, we've just ended the first decade of a new millennium. Think of all the things that have changed in our lives just in the last 10 years. Looking back 10 years, we can think many more children have been born in the last 10 years. Many more children have gone off to school. Many more have gotten married. Many more have moved away. Many of our loved ones, spouses, children, parents have left this world for the next. Think back 10 years ago. Here we are, January 3rd, 2010. For many of us, on January 3rd, 2000, which was a Monday that year, there was relief that the Y2K bug didn't catapult us back into the Stone Ages. Remember that? On that date, Bill Clinton was still president. So now that's two presidents ago. Think about this too, when the last decade began, blackberries were still a fruit. Now they're not just a fruit, they're an electronics device. Green was still more of a color than a movement, or for some almost a religion. You didn't have to take your shoes off before you got on an airplane. And you could bring a bottled drink on board the airplane with you. That was just ten years ago. 911 was only the number you called when you had an emergency. Few people had ever heard of a blog. Facebook was when you were actually reading a book and had your face in it. Google was just a funny word, but it wasn't a verb yet. Nobody had an iPod. Nobody. They were introduced in 2001 or two. Hardly any of us knew someone who texted. Tweet was something only birds did. 2000 was the year that the human genome was mapped for the very first time. In the year 2000, very few people knew who Osama bin Laden was, and Tiger Woods was just the world's best golfer and not the fodder for tabloid headlines. For some of us, high school and college were still ahead of us, and now that's all behind you. For some of us, marriage and children were ahead of us when the decade began. Now we've experienced that, and we're on to new circumstances in our lives. The end of one year and the beginning of another often prompts reflection. It prompts resolutions. It prompts hopes and dreams and planning. It often prompts celebration, as if there's something magical about the clock turning from 11.59 one day to midnight on New Year's Eve. Perhaps we think there's something that will make our lives better and different with the new year. How else can you explain the spectacle of thousands of people who gather in New York's Times Square every New Year's Eve? We reflect on the years gone by, and we think forward to the year ahead, wondering or hoping or even planning for what's to come. There's something in us that has a need to mark milestones. And the beginning of a new year is one that many people mark in some way. A month or so ago, I was thinking about TCF's 40th anniversary, that was another important milestone in the life of this church. Looking at all the clippings and all the photos that we put together for that Sunday, and I began to think about this habit we have of looking back and looking forward. We seem to have a need to remember. And in fact, we're encouraged by Scripture in some places to remember. In some contexts in Scripture, we're encouraged to forget. But one of the things that we're encouraged to remember is what I want to focus on this morning as we begin this new year. In many ways, we're in a new era here as a church, here at TCF. We're in the second generation of Tulsa Christian Fellowship, and things have changed since those early days. I think Jim Garrett's admonition at the end of his talk on the day we celebrated our 40th anniversary of a church was very appropriate. Let me remind you what he said that day. He said, sometimes individuals get hung up on genealogies and start researching from whence their families came. And somehow they find identity and worth in that. Let's not do that here. Let's not live in the past or even in the future, but in the moment as the Holy Spirit is speaking to us every single day as we seek to serve him. On the other hand, let's give thanks to our Lord who has sovereignly through a series of events and through some extraordinary people brought TCF, into existence. So with that admonition in mind, as we look back and also as we look forward to a new year, I think the most important thing for us to remember is what's constant. If we had to choose between a friend who was never reliable, who was always late, who never shows up when he or she says he or she will, who's never there when you need him, Or on the other hand, a friend you know you can absolutely count on. You can call and say, I need you, and he's there. Who always keeps his word and does what he says he'll do. Well, there's an easy question. Who would you choose, right? Now, I'm not encouraging you to abandon your friends who are less than reliable, because we all have some of them, don't we? I'm just trying to draw a comparison here. There are some things or people that we can depend on And there are some things or people that we just really can't depend on. You can depend, for example, on death and taxes, right? The old adage. And taxes are getting to be a little bit more dependable these days. You can rely on the fact that a slight tax increase costs you about $200 and a substantial tax cut saves you about 30 cents. You can depend on Old Faithful. You know, the geyser in Yellowstone National Park. You can depend on this, too. Give a person a fish and you feed them for a day. Teach a person to use the internet and they won't bother you for weeks. (laughs) You can count on bills moving through the mail at twice the speed of checks. Try it sometime. You can depend on the reality that money can't make you happy. Of course, all I'd like is the chance to prove that theory. You can also count on the cost of living going up, but it's interesting to note that the cost of living hasn't really affected its popularity very much. Tough crowd this morning. But getting a little bit more into the serious vein, what can we depend on? Who can we depend on? We can depend on morning and evening, each and every day. The sun comes up, the sun goes down, whether we can see it outside or not, you have to trust that it's there, you can count on it. The seasons, without fail, they come and go. Remember that now as you bundle up and battle the ice on the roads like we did last week. You're sure to sweat this summer and wish for just a little bit of this cold weather. Count on it. What is constant, what is always true, regardless of our life's circumstances, regardless of what's going on in and around the world, is God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. Hebrews 13.8 tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Scripture, faithful means steadfast, dedicated, dependable, and worthy of trust. It's derived from the Hebrew root having the basic meaning to trust a person or to believe a statement. This is the same root that gives us the word amen. The derived meaning is that the one so described is trustworthy, dependable, trusting, or loyal. Those are good things, aren't they? Reliable, trustworthy, faithful, dependable, steadfast. These are all wonderful truths about the character of the mighty God we serve. In thinking ahead to the challenges that I know many of us are facing, and I know a lot of the challenges that many of you sitting here this morning are facing. It's encouraging to me to remember that we serve the same old, same old faithful God, the ancient of days, the one who never changes, the God who's always reliable, always faithful, always keeps his word. We have to be honest, though. The days, the times we live in seem a little uncertain, don't they? Some of us are facing uncertain futures in our jobs or our work. Some of us are facing uncertain futures in various circumstances related to our family or loved ones or our schooling or our career. The economy, I don't know about you, but I think the economy still looks kind of scary even though they say things are improving. Where is all this spending going to take us as a nation? Terrorism still looms as a very large threat So entering 2010, the second decade of this millennium, what can we rely on? On whom can we rely? What is sure and certain? What is sure, what is certain, what we can rely on, who we can rely on, is the same old, same old God. The one about whom the psalmist said in Psalm 36, verse 5, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. And in Psalm 100, verse 5, For the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness is to all generations. Now, raised as a Catholic, there were many hymns that you were probably familiar with if you were raised in a Protestant church. But as a Catholic, I didn't know those hymns because they only sing hymns that are written by Catholics in the Catholic church. So many of the hymns that you know from your upbringing were new to me until after I came to Christ when I was 16 years old. Since that day, one that has become my favorite relates to what we're looking at this morning. The hymn is, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and it's based on this passage of Scripture in Lamentations chapter 3, beginning with verse 21. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in Him. Now, the prophet Jeremiah wrote these words, and these are wonderful words of faith and hope, wonderful reminders of God's loving kindness, His compassion, His mercy, His faithfulness. But the interesting thing to note is that Jeremiah did not write these words in a vacuum. He wasn't in some ivory tower just philosophizing or theologizing about God. When we think of the difficult things we might be facing, so put those in mind right now, it's helpful to go back to the beginning of this chapter and see what preceded these words of faith and lamentations. We, we, we like this part, great is your faithfulness, you know, I hope in you all that, your mercies are new every morning. But listen to what it says beginning, and this is a little long passage, but bear with me. Because this is where Jeremiah started before he got to the great is thy faithfulness part. In verse 1, he says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so that I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and sated me with gall. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. <sighs> wow, that is that that maybe that's the kind of passage that the Book of Lamentations is meant to, uh, the title to reflect, isn't it? That's a lament. That's what Jeremiah was feeling. So we go from this long lament about his sufferings, the very real very trying circumstances of his life to a complete turnaround in the space of a sentence. After all that, he says again, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, The Lord is my portion, Therefore, I will wait for or have hope in him. It's as if Jeremiah, you ever want to get somebody's attention, and you go up to somebody, and you kind of grab their face like this? It's like Jeremiah was grabbing his own face like this. He's saying, look at the truth. Remember what you know to be true. These are very real emotions of a very real man who was experiencing very real suffering. It was emotional suffering. It was physical suffering. He was recognizing the reality of his life, and he knew that God was big enough to handle his laments. So he said it out loud. But where Jeremiah ends up is what we're focusing on this morning. He says to God, great is your faithfulness. Some hymns that we sing have amazing stories behind them. Think of Amazing Grace written by a former slave ship captain. Think of it as well with my soul, written by a man who had just recently lost a child. But Thomas Chisholm, the man who wrote Great is Thy Faithfulness, lived a fairly normal life. He became a Christian at the age of 27. He became a pastor at age 36, but he had to leave the pastorate about a year later because he had poor health. Most of the rest of his life, you know what he was? He was an insurance salesman in New Jersey. How normal is that? He died in 1960 at the age of 93, and during his lifetime, he wrote 1,200 poems, most of which nobody will ever hear. But in 1923, he sent one of those poems to a man named William Runyon. That poem was Great is Thy Faithfulness. Runyon liked it, and he set it to music, and it quickly became a favorite in the church. Now, Thomas Chisholm was an ordinary guy who lived a pretty ordinary life, just like most of us. But he lived in and relied on God's faithfulness. When he was 75, he wrote this in a letter. He wrote, My income has not been large at any time due to impaired health in the earlier years, which has followed me on until now. Although I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness Of a covenant keeping God, and that He has given me many wonderful displays of His providing care for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. We can sure appreciate a slave ship captain who was redeemed and later able to write of God's amazing grace. We can also appreciate a man who, in the depths of his grief, was able to say, Because of his relationship with the God of all comfort, it is well with my soul. Those, things, those kinds of things mean a lot to us, and many of us can relate to those kinds of circumstances in such a way that these songs minister God's truth and comfort to us. But the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, is what one writer called a hymn for ordinary Christians, kind of day-to-day, ordinary, plot along, get along with life, written by an ordinary guy dealing with life's ordinary challenges. The hymn has three verses and a chorus. It's very familiar, but let's review this a little bit. In the first verse, we sing of God's faithfulness revealed in his word. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Now this verse actually quotes the idea from James chapter 1, verse 17, which says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It's another way of saying what we looked at earlier in Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never changes. His good gifts to us never change. The next verse, we see summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature and manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. So here in the second verse, we see God's faithfulness as it's revealed in creation. As we already noted, something we can absolutely rely on is day and night and the seasons. The sun, moon, and stars, they all do their thing pretty consistently, don't they? Faithfully, they are orchestrated day and night. By God's faithful hand, without any help at all from us. And then we see in the next verse pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. So here in the third verse, we're reminded of God's faithfulness in our spiritual lives as well as in our day-to-day existence where the rubber meets the road because these things are very real to us. First of all, he pardons all of our sins. And then he gives us peace, a peace as we see in Scripture that passes understanding. And sometimes we have that peace in spite of circumstances that are anything but peaceful. He gives us the Holy Spirit, a guarantee of his presence with us. His faithful presence strengthens us. It gives us hope in the midst of despair. Hope for this day and hope for the next. He blesses us with things too numerous to count. And then, of course, there's the chorus. Great is thy faithfulness. Say it again. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord Unto me, Here's a great example of a song which gives us so many different truths in scriptures. It affirms many truths that we see in the Word of God, that we see again and again. If you want to encourage yourself sometime, do what I did the last few weeks. Do a word study on faithfulness. Look up faithful or faithfulness. One of the things you'll notice is that faithfulness is often paired with the word truth. Sometimes it's the same word that's used and translated as either truth or faithfulness. In the Old Testament, the word for faithfulness is related to the word for truth because they both come from a similar root, as we noted a moment ago, which means firmness or stability. Think about this for a moment. Faithfulness actually flows from truth. What is true must also be trustworthy. Even Balaam who was basically a pagan fortune teller, had to admit that the God who tells the truth will also keep his promises. We see this in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, where Balaam says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? So if God can't lie, that makes him reliable, doesn't it? We can count on him to do whatever he promises. Now let me take just a few minutes and sample some of the many, many passages in Scripture that speak to us of God's faithfulness. I want you to listen to these and let them sink in and let the Holy Spirit use God's Word to assure you of his faithfulness. First of all, we see in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. And then Deuteronomy 32. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice Righteous and upright is he. Psalm 33, verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. Psalm 89, verses 1 and 2. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Just so you don't think this is just an Old Testament idea, we see God's faithfulness proclaimed in the New Testament as well. Here's a few samples. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. But as surely as God is faithful, Our message to you is not yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership upon us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 but the lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one 2 Timothy chapter 2 if we are faithless he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself Hebrews 10:23 let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he Who promised is faithful. Again, these are just a few of the passages of Scripture that affirm God's faithfulness to us. We're called to be faithful too, but in reality, we sometimes fail. I can think of many people in this room that I would call faithful people, but I can't think of anyone in this room who's absolutely perfect in that faithfulness. We sometimes go back on our word even for reasons beyond our control. For example, someone here might have said to a family member uh, a couple days before Christmas, I'll be there for Christmas dinner. But the snowstorm on Christmas Eve made you unable to keep that promise. But God is omnipotent. Sometimes we have even legitimate reasons to fail in keeping some of our promises because we can't keep them. But God has no such reasons. He's able to do whatever he promises. We're sometimes unfaithful for less legitimate reasons as well. Our sin nature needs some sort of approval or acceptance, or we are just self-pleasing, we're selfish, or for some other reason we might fail to keep a promise. But God doesn't need anyone's approval or acceptance. He is his own reason for everything he does. Sometimes we don't keep our promise because we lose interest. I've seen this often as I recruit volunteers. When I used to be on the board of men Pregnancy Center, I often ask people to be involved at one level or another. And sometimes they'll agree, and at first they're kind of enthusiastic, but after a while, maybe the work isn't as exciting as they thought, and there's a level of attrition. Not everybody drops away, but sometimes many people do. Well, you know what? We serve a God totally unlike us. He doesn't get tired of anything. And he never loses interest. Sometimes I get tired of praying for someone or something because I don't see anything happening. Or I get tired of working on something because I don't see instant results. But thanks be to God, he doesn't get tired. Not only of hearing my prayers about these things, he doesn't get tired of that, but he doesn't get tired of working in those things about which I'm praying. Whether I can see it or not, he's at work. We live in a microwave culture. We want things done now. We want it done in just a few minutes. I think God's more like a baker, or maybe a slow roaster, or maybe a crock pot. Now, don't go out here and say, Bill said God's a crock pot. But I think he can be like that, because I think he's satisfied to let things cook for a while. And he doesn't get tired of waiting. He's patient. And you know what? His patience is a sign of his faithfulness. Faithfulness is an integral part of who God is. Psalm 89, verse 8 says, O Lord, God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. We can trust God. We can absolutely rely on his faithfulness. What does that have to do? with this new year. Well I believe that for me and for many of you that God wants 2010 to be a year in which each of us grows in our ability to rest in his faithfulness. Life always brings storms and trouble. In some ways and with some of us in this day and time we might tend to think there's bigger storms brewing in our lives and that might be true. I'm not predicting that I'm only just recognizing the ebb and flow of life. This is how life works. So when we hear bad news, we'll be more able to say in 2010, just like Jeremiah said, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. When our finances are challenged, we'll be able to say with Jeremiah, your mercies are new every morning. When we struggle with the reality of some of our unanswered prayers, maybe the spiritual state of some of our loved ones, some of the things we want to see happen, we will join Jeremiah in saying, God, great is your faithfulness. Finally, you know what? It's not just about our peace or our rest in Him. I don't think that's unimportant at all. But ultimately, when we trust God, when we're able to say to Him, Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We have the opportunity to bring glory to him. Think about this. People in the world today are fed up with empty religious claims. They want to see something that that does what it says it will do. Few things give evidence to the reality of life in Christ more powerfully than a believer who exhibits genuine peace in trying circumstances. That is the byproduct of knowing a faithful God and believing his promises. When we are assured that he cares because he is loving and good, when we are convinced that he is in control because he is omnipotent, when we believe that he is with us and knows all about the problem because he is omnipresent and omniscient, when we believe that he is working everything together for good because he is sovereign and wise, then we will have peace when things around us are falling apart, and that will make a powerful impact on the world. So as the Holy Spirit brings us the ability to trust in him, to completely rely on the absolute reliability of a faithful God, think about what that will look like to the world around us, to the people you know hey, you're unemployed, how can you be so calm about that? Or, hey, the economy is terrible, you lost half of your retirement. Doesn't that upset you just a little bit? We'll be able to tell those people what Psalm 91 says to us. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Some of us here this morning are like me. You sometimes waver about the faithfulness of God, just life's circumstances buffet you, and you wonder, and you waver a little bit. You believe it, but you have to pray, I believe, help my unbelief, Lord. You've prayed and you've prayed, and maybe nothing's happening. You've done all the right things in a given circumstance, and it seems to be for naught. This morning, you may want to join me here at the altar here in just a moment and respond to the word of God. You may want to come and declare with me a new refrain for this coming year. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my place of refuge. He is my place of safety. He is my God and I trust in Him because He is faithful. Amen? We're going to play a song here in just a second. And as the song plays... If the Lord would have you respond in any way, this is between you and God. You don't need to be praying. You can pray for those who are up here, but this is between you and God. I want you to come. We're not going to stay long, but we're just going to stay just a minute, and I want you to come and pray and declare to God that He is faithful and you're going to trust Him as He gives you the grace to do that. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank You for Your faithfulness. Thank You that Your Word is so clearly affirming of this faithfulness, we ask, Heavenly Father, that your Holy Spirit would instill in each of us the ability, Father, to trust in you. Give us grace, Lord God. Help us to remember that your mercies are new every morning. Help us to remember that you are reliable and steadfast and faithful. And Lord, may our ability to trust in you bring us peace that to a watching world is amazing. Lord, may we bring glory to you because we trust in a reliable and faithful God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.